in this machine. As we do with our every other meeting, uh, we tend to record our meetings for record keeping purposes only. Um, got it. Yes. All right, uh, let's get started here in just a minute. Everyone, if you can take your seats. Please let me know if there's any audio issues or if you can't see my screen um, before we get started. Good looking crowd out there. Well, it should be the screen, but. All right, welcome to the Missouri Foundation for Health uh, and June's Forest Park Southeast Neighborhood Association meeting. A lot of new faces here. Uh, hello, if I haven't seen you before, and hello if I have. Uh, my name is Dan Doling. I am the president of the Forest Park Southeast Neighborhood Association. And to my right is Michael Browning, vice president of the Forest Park Southeast Neighborhood Association. And uh, at tonight's meeting, we will be hearing from our guests uh, at Lux Living on their proposal um, for the project along Kings Highway. Uh, in this meeting, we will end with a community discussion to determine uh, community support. We'll get into details and in into that in just a second. Uh, the agenda uh, will cover some ground rules, go into introductions, uh, go into Lux Living's project presentation. We'll ask some, have you guys uh, provide some time for clarifying questions. Go into that closed community discussion. Um, and we do need to be out of here by 8.30, so we'll try to wrap up at 8.15. Uh, ground rules. Uh, if you can keep your questions until the end of the presentation, that would be fantastic. Uh, we have Rachel online monitoring the chat. Any questions that pop up from there? And we have Aaron and uh, Michael here who will help uh, keep questions uh, tallied here in the room. Uh, we ask that you keep these questions uh, pointed towards clarifying questions. Uh, this is uh, a third meeting with Lux Living. Um, and uh, the sec a second time we were seeing a, a proposal from them. Um, this proposal incorporated some community feedback from the last meeting we had in October 2021. Uh, so we asked that if you have any questions amongst the, the feedback that was given last time or this new proposal, you keep it pointed towards that and not necessarily providing new suggestions on how to change uh, the building itself. Um, again, if you are online, uh, enter your questions into the Zoom chat. If you're attending in person, you can raise your hand. Um, no interruptions, please. And uh, y'all are great people, so continue behaving on your best behavior. Uh, so I'm going to start with some introductions. I introduced myself and Michael. Um, we have Aaron, 
uh, over here, he is our secretary. He is taking notes and fielding questions. And then I'm going to pass this microphone over to uh, the representatives from Lux Living. Um, but before I do that, I'm gonna let Mike Burkhardt introduce himself. Uh, he is the architect over uh, on this project. All right, was that for me now? Yep, if you want to introduce yourself. Sure. Quickly. Yep. yep, I'm Mike Burkhardt. I'm with um, the president of V Design Group. And um, our firm is um, looking at, you know, different ideas for this, this, this project on um, Kings Highway. And I'd um, be glad to go, go through all that here in just a minute. And um, I didn't know, Vic, if you wanted to, you know, start by talking about anything or if you want me just to get started. Uh, we'll just start with some introduction first. I have a project overview slide that I'll go through. Um, I'm going to pass the mic over to uh, Vic and sit anyone else here who is a representative of Lux Living to introduce themselves. Uh, one second. Okay, hi. Can you hear me? Okay, I'm Vic Alston. Um, I run Lux Living, and um, we've uh, been involved with this particular project for like almost maybe nine months or so, maybe 10 months. And uh, we've put forward a few different. Is this any better? Yeah. yeah? Okay. Sorry. All right. I'm going to almost put it in my mouth. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so yeah, we've been um, working on this project. We bought the site maybe almost a year ago and we've been working on a few different versions of the site. So the first version of the site we showed um, towards the, the end of last year, and, um, and we got a lot of feedback, two rounds of community feedback, but we also started getting feedback from cultural resources. Um, and so this now incorporates a lot of those changes. Um, and I'm gonna just, are, are you gonna start going through the slides and then we can talk about that? Or do you want me to give any more overview right now? We're going to wrap up introduction. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Sid, do you want to do a quick overview as well? Hi, guys. Can you hear me? Hey, I'm Sid Chakraverti. Um, been working on this project. Uh, I've been watching these sites since I was a little kid and driving by them for a long time. We've been working with this project or on this project now for over a year, um, working on acquiring the sites and and trying to find the best use of the property for the neighborhood and, and for uh, really all of St. Louis because it's such a, a pinnacle site um, right off of Kings Highway. So um, uh, I don't know if there's anything further besides what we go through, but um, we've been building a lot in St. Louis and, and uh, we look, really look forward to, to getting this site accomplished. Anyone else here from I don't know, does every, you want everyone to introduce themselves? Yeah, if you're, if you're, if you're I don't think anyone else is representing us, so I think they just came to. Yeah. yeah there you go. Thank you. Uh, cool. Uh, we're going to jump into a project overview slides, um, and then we will hand it off to Mike or anyone else who is uh, presenting uh, the site plans and the renderings of uh, the proposal. So. 
uh, project owner review. Um, Vic and Sid introduced themselves. They are the owners of Lux Living. Relevant experience, as, as, as they've mentioned, they've developed buildings in St. Louis, including the Chelsea and the Hudson, and have redeveloped other buildings, including Steelyard and Brodeur. Um, they've also managed other properties under the names STL Citywide, Elite Properties, Central PM, and Aspirant. Uh, the history of the site in which they are proposing is the, as many of us might be familiar with, are the former Drury buildings um, or the buildings owned by Drury, the seven buildings along Kings Highway. Um, today, they do sit, do sit empty. Um, a little bit more uh, about the project itself um, before we get into details. Uh, the proposed project is to demo seven buildings, six multifamily, one single family along Kings Highway and build a six to seven story, 155 unit multifamily podium style luxury apartment. Included will be a garage with 155 parking spaces. Now, now with a signaled entrance and exit off and onto Kings Highway and a right turn only exit onto Kings Highway. Uh, amenities include a pool on the Kings Highway side upon the request of those at our last meeting and a fitness and spa for residents. Uh, the facade exterior uses more red brick, again, um, compared to the materials in the previous proposal to match the surrounding area. Um, new in this proposal is to conditionally vacate the alley at Oakland, requiring an aldermanic board vote of approval. Uh, the deed in which what was written to the deed that Lux Living has for these properties is that an Airbnbs and short-term rentals are prohibited. Um, if, if approved by the city, construction would begin in Q1 of 2023 with an eight-month construction duration and um, they have not requested any tax incentives. Um, the variance that has been requested um, from what we can tell is uh, to have the entrance and exit off and onto Kings Highway, again, at the request of the community's feedback. Uh, here's a picture of the site today uh, for visual reference. These are the seven buildings along Kings Highway uh, right there at the Oakland intersection. With that said, um, we'll go into the details of the proposal itself. Uh, I'm assuming, uh, Mike, uh, are you wanting to take the reins and present? Yeah, that'd be great. <clears throat> awesome. I'll turn it over to you. Okay, very good. Let's see, can I, um, can I have the screen? Can I share screen? You're going to have to enable me, it looks like. Yes, I will make you a co-host. One second. Okay. Co-host. And I will stop sharing my screen. Okay. All right. Does that work? Looks good. Okay. All right. So, you know, what I wanted to kind of start with is um, you know, kind of what our design approach has been, you know, since we, since we started designing the project last year, you know, just looking at different options, the, um, um, you know, the initial, you know, plan was to, to come up, you know, with something that, you know, works in this neighborhood core, you know, form-based code, um, zoning district, you know, that, um, you know, that just pretty much just hits dead on all the, um, you know, checks all the boxes of the form-based code, you know, so our, our approach was to get, 
a, a design established that would not require any variances and you know that would um, you know just just be within the you know let's call it the spirit of the of the form based code so this this here is what we presented last year this was our october presentation in regards to our site plan you know that that plan included you know off of um, you know between oakland and arco you know through the alley an alley entrance you know where we were entering from the back of the building um, the front of the building did not have a, a vehicular entrance basically had a pedestrian entrance with a court and we were you know we we're planning to make this you know kind of a high-end um, court you know where we could uh, pedestrian court where we come in and have entrances into the lobby fitness you know and and, um, and and kind of the entrance would be off of that court so that that's what we had um, established you know on, on the initial design which you know um, you know without a variance we couldn't we, we couldn't enter off of King's Highway the other thing that we had also done is we had stepped back the building in the on the back on the rear on the alley side and and basically put our pool our pool deck on the back side we had a you know basically a tiered deck you know and and had that facing the neighborhood which allowed the building to step back on the rear or you know the, the alley side of the building um the other thing that we had also included um you know just by I guess choice, just preferences. We were looking at lots of different designs, but we had a more of a modern facade at that time, and you know, with 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 various you know details, with some various bands, um, you know, some some spandrel glass, you know, a lot of a lot of glass in the front of the building, but more modern elements is what we had included, you know, at that time last year. So so that's what we presented last last year, and we got some feedback. And, um, you know, the, the feedback that we received, I'm going to kind of go to the, you know, to the presentation we, we have now. Um, so the, this is the, Dan, the same presentation that, you know, that, um, that, that you had on the screen earlier. So the number one thing, you know, that we kind of felt was, was being communicated through the neighborhood is just, you know, trying to prevent access from, you know, vehicular access from Oakland and Arco. So basically trying to keep the traffic out of the neighborhood and, and find a way to get it in from Kings Highway. So so we we looked at that, looked at lots of different ideas, including, you know, how can we even get move-ins, you know, to be able to function, you know, from Kings Highway and not having to do that from, you know, from the neighborhood. So where we were entering off the alley in, in the backside, we have we have now um, looked at an entrance that's actually tied to the um, the, the signalization of this intersection. Um, you know, where Oakland and um, and Kings Highway intersect. So what we did to prove that this would work is we hired you know Lock Miller Group, and and we worked with them on a traffic study so we could you know take a look at all. It's a full blown traffic study where we. Looked at all the you know the different traffic counts, all the different time frames, how much traffic would be coming in and out of the um, you know the building and um, and so on, and we we also presented that to um, Jamie Wilson, you know the traffic commissioner. We had we had a couple of meetings with him, and bottom line is after you know going through everything with him, he was he was supportive of the plan. Um, you know, so we expect to get support and approval from the city. You know on 
you know, on this plan. Um, kind of to kind of tell you how it would work, you know, we would be adding a left turn lane, you know, in you know, coming from the north on King's Highway. And um, and, and then of course from, from the right, you just be right turning into the into the building. We actually have our a, a security gate that's held back so we can allow stacking, you know, to come into the building and um, you know, and and basically come to the back side and either turn right and go to below grade parking. Um, that's where all the parking or majority of the parking would occur. And just keep in mind we we are planning for one-to-one -one parking. You know, we're meeting, we're meeting the code from, from that perspective. Um, when you do come into the garage, it's going to be double volume space. So we're going to have approximately 14 foot clearance as you come into the garage so that we will be able to get moving trucks in, you know, into the garage and creating a staging area over in this location, you know, so that we can be have an elevator close by and get our move-ins from, you know, inside the garage. So this, this keeps, again, the move-ins from coming in, you know, from the, you know, from the neighborhood side and creating odd traffic conditions of turning, turning around and, and, and having, you know, the move-in trucks in that area. So when you come on around and you go around, I'll get to this in a second, but around this amenity space, we're creating a, a right out only so that this, there's no entrance allowed, you know, in what's, what's designated as F, it's basically right turn only, you know, back to King's Highway. And so that would be, you know, uh, configured in a way so it doesn't really allow traffic to get into the garage from that, from that point. So, so that's kind of how we have, you know, handled the, um, you know, the task of getting traffic out of the neighborhood and back from King's Highway and, and, and getting that to work. So um, this bottom level, is, you know, it's is basically made up of, you know, garage space and, and then our amenities, you know, here in the, um, in the front of the building, which we'd have, you know, fitness and spa and, you know, just leasing and amenities down, down on this lowest level. So that's, um, like I said, that's kind of how we handled the change of the entrance. Um, the next thing would be the, um, you know, the building setback or step stepping back in the pool location. So we kind of go back to the original plan. Again, this is on the alley side and we had this portion of the building set back for a pool on the, it's called the neighborhood side or on the east side of the building. Um, again, to find a way to solve that problem because we were getting feedback that, you know, um, you know, lights, noise, you know, just privacy, you know, not having, you know, the, you know, the, the one of our main amenities, you know, um, on, on the neighborhood side of the building. So what we've done there, kind of go back to our main slide, we've got two or three here, but this would be from the King's Highway um, face of the building. So this would be our amenity areas. Um, this would be the entrance into the garage. And, and, and in the center here, this is where we have the pool deck, you know, that, um, that is basically set between, you know, two sections of the building, um, you know, that come all the way out to the face. So if you're familiar with Chelsea, it would be set up very similar to how Chelsea is as far as a pool deck in the center. A little difference in shape. This one is um, has more length along the highway and not as deep as far as 
fact, it's because of the size of the lot or shape of the lot. So that's that's one change we've made. And, you know, so that's basically, you know, stepping the building back, you know, from the front side, you know, versus the rear side, but basically getting that amenity, you know, away from the, the neighborhood or the east side of the building. So the, the other feedback we received was basically the style of the building. Um, you know, this was again, more of a modern facade, like I was mentioning earlier. And I think the, um, you know, the comments we were getting was, you know, can we get more materials that complement the neighborhood or maybe more consistent with, you know, what you see in the neighborhood, which is, you know, some red brick, you know, and, um, um, and just maybe a, make it a little more of a classic look, you know, versus, um, you know, versus a modern, you know, look there. So we, so we've been, you know, looking at options there as well, which is what we've, what we've done. So, um, um, so in that process, this is kind of a, a rendering from the, um, from the Southwest and, you know, so in, in, in taking, you know, the, you know, the feedback, you know, from, from the neighborhood and then also working with cultural resources, we've kind of established, you know, what I would consider more of a, a semi-classic design. Um, you know, we're trying to include some modern elements like the, um, you know, the front facade, um, you know, just kind of a mixture of, um, you know, some structural steel around the doors and so on. Um, you know, we're having a pull deck on the front with glass railing and, 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 and really trying to incorporate some of the, you know, more classic St. Louis, you know, style details like the red brick and, um, and really taking um, concepts and examples from the form pace code, you know, um, examples that are provided there. So, so just kind of going through some of the, you know, some of the items and let me kind of scroll down here. We kind of see a few things. If you kind of look at the, the base of the building, let's get down to here. We're kind of starting off with a stone base or creating a stone water table at the base of the building. The rendering may not be completely accurate as far as the grade. I think there might be a little higher here, a little lower here. So it kind of allows us to, you know, establish a water table and just a, a stone base you know, that just kind of meets the, um, you know, kind of the historic char characteristics of a lot of buildings, you know, in, you know, in St. Louis. Um, above that on this first level of the garage, you know, versus putting, you know, windows that, that look into the parking garage, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to create some horizontal accents, you know, that, um, you know, that we've seen on a lot of buildings in St. Louis, you know, that um, just kind of adds some dimension, just kind of a, you know, just, just gives it some sort of a um, visual interest, you know, with, with the horizontal, you know, lines, you know, at, at level one. So if we kind of go around, this is beyond the sides of the building. Um, that'll be also, you know, accompanied by some nice landscaping, um, some lighting, you know, that will, um, um, again, provide that visual interest at level one without seeing, you know, inside the parking garage. Um, you know, above that, you know, our primary brick, you know, let's just call it more the St. Louis, you know, red, you know, brick, you know, that, you know, we've used some other projects. We, you know, we've been looking at the project that we use on Steelyard, um, which I think cultural resource likes that brick a lot, 
you know, the mortar color, you know, we've kind of used a dark um, red mortar color with that, you know, that that's being considered and probably, you know, one of the, um, you know, one of the most likely, you know, bricks we would use there, but just more of a, you know, a St. Louis brick color, you know, as far as the primary color. And, um, and then we, you know, what we're doing on the front facade is we're, we're kind of using a, it's kind of a deep, you know, warm gray brick, you know, along the front, again, kind of creating that modern element. And, you know, this would be a, a brick facade here. And let's see if I can go back a little further. You can kind of see here how we have, you know, the, the steel beams that are around the windows and kind of creating a historic window pattern, storefront window pattern on the front, you know, have more of a modern awning on the, on the front of the building, um, but doing something, you know, very interesting on the, at the entrance of the building and just, just, just trying to be, um, you know, something that again provides provides interest, you know, to the building, and then the um, the upper levels. We're just providing kind of a warm gray stucco, you know, at the at the at the top of the building, and then also at different different accents, you know, between the buildings or between the between the windows, you know, that um, uh, just complements the you know the red the red brick. Um, also, you know, the residential windows, we're using, you know, aluminum um, window that provides historic, some of the historic elements like the, you know, the bottom style, you know, the bottom rail, you know, being thicker, that would be more historic characteristics, um, you know, getting some grids, you know, which is more, a little bit more of a warehouse style, you know, grid in the front. Um, we have kind of a combination of, um, of, it's called outdoor space with with some decks like we get on the front of the building you know we have some inset decks you know with rails and and then more towards the back of the building it's a combination of of juliet balconies and and a few hang on balconies again to just provide some additional outdoor space and and just some um you know more visual interest you know for the building itself so um so that's kind of what we've ended up with as far as changing the style of the building. It's, it's really a very similar building to what we had before and how it functions. It's just a matter of, you know, just, just changing the entrance, um, you know, moving the pool deck to the, to the front. It's really just about the same square footage of, of building. Um, it's the same height of building. The um, you know the and, and just changing the facade to be more of a classic design versus um, a modern design. So I think that's pretty much what I have. So Rick, do you want to have anything you want to add to that? All right, one sec. Let me pass the mic over. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll add a couple things. Um, there were four, there's like four or five key areas that we changed between the last version and this version. I just want to make sure it's very clear what those are. So one is obviously the parking and the access is through the front. We have two garage doors on the front. Okay. It gives you the ability to come in through 
one entrance, but you can leave through two separate entrances. Um, one is ride out only and one has the light. And um, that's all, you know, been validated by the city, by, by the folks that are looking at traffic and signaling. So we've already kind of done that homework so it works. This isn't our preference, to be honest. We'd prefer to actually come through the alley for a variety of reasons, but the neighborhood feedback was fairly strong to, to give a proposal that didn't come through the alley. So that's primarily the first change that we've made. Second change, we wanted a more modern style. So the entrance to the Central West End, um, and we, we thought the first style was more glazing, more modern, and um, still kept with what we thought would be representative of the Central West End. But there was feedback, um, but from, from the neighborhood at some level, but really from cultural resources who have iterated with the architect quite a bit, and they have proposed a design that is much more historic, that's um, over 65% brick. So this new design is significantly brick masonry. So got a little bit of um, elements as you go up to the top of the building that's a little bit different. And then obviously bringing in a glazing pattern that is a lot more historic, a lot more classic, maybe something you, you would see in some more of the industrial parts of town and, and maybe even in Soulard. So, so that was stuff that came in from the neighborhood, but also a lot from cultural resources on what they wanted to see at the site. Third big change is that, um, you know, we have done a couple things here to activate the front a lot more, put the pool on the front side and really make the activation on Kings Highway, a major focus. And if you go walking around the rest of the building, we've tried to really not activate any other part of the building to make sure that it, um, you know, the, the noise and maybe the amenities aren't interfering with the neighborhood in the rear. So that was the third big change. And then the last change that I think is worth noting is that um, we have done a few things to, to make sure that, um, parking and move-ins, things like that are gonna be a lot easier. So the old design had everything going in the back, including the moving truck. You know, with 150 units or so, you're talking about a move-in every couple of days. That would be a box truck coming in through the back of the alley. Now the box truck will come right into the garage. That's a much more costly uh, solution. The garage is elevated. It's got a double volume space within the garage. That garage can handle a box truck coming in. The box truck will go into the garage, do a move in or do a move out, and then exit the garage. And so really no move-ins happen on the street. Everything happens within the building, unless you're bringing in an 18-wheeler, which none of our tenants really do. You're not really gonna cause any interference um, with traffic and everything else that's going on. So these are the big four changes. Um, and a lot of it neighborhood-driven, some cultural resources-driven. And this one does require a little bit of a variance. And the variance is really that we're going to move in and we're going to have um, parking and access coming from King's Highway as opposed to the alley. And by form-based code, they want it to come from the alley. So our prior design really required no variances. Um, the new design requires some variance, um, but is maybe more in fitting with what neighborhood wants um, and what cultural is also happy with. So I'll stop there. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, unless there are any other uh, 
additions to add on to the presentation, we can move into uh, Q&A. Yeah. Uh, so the question is, uh, can you clarify uh, the alleys, Oakland and Arco, um, shown in the uh, rendering? Yeah, Mike, if you want to take that. Yeah, so what was what was the question there as far as the the alley relocation? Sorry, uh, could you clarify uh, the movement of the alleys? It looks to my eye that the Oakland alley is being moved one lot to the east, and I'm not sure about the Arco alley. Yeah, we, um, um, you know, we, we have the ability to, you know, bring the alley, you know, behind, you know, from Oakland, you know, there, there's not any structures in this location. Um, so we're able to basically move it back and um, to basically create more separation between, you know, the, you know, the alley and the building. Um, and, you know, and then also we have some options, but one option would be to, um, to bring the alley, you know, back over to Arco, you know, through one of the lots, you know, to the, um, to the east there. And we were, we would work with the city and, you know, you know, to get all this finalized. Uh, I'm going to tap it over to Rachel and see if there's any questions in the chat that uh, we can bring to the forefront before going into any other questions here in, in the room. Thanks, Dan. We've got a couple here uh, for Lux and, and uh, the architect. The first question is, have you, the architect, been engaged for full construction administration services to ensure proper implementation of the design intent? Will the design and construction of this building withstand the test of time? Um, we we have an agreement with with Lux. We um, until we have a final design, you know, or you know, we, once we understand that's when our, we'll have a final construction administration contract at that point. Um, but we but we intend to do that, and we we will work with Lux from the implementation, you know, to make sure that our design is implemented, you know, through special inspections and you know just making sure that we get a great quality you know project. Thank you. The next question here: uh, Do you all own the land slash properties behind this proposed development marked in the red blocks? on one of the plans? If yes, what is intended for that area once this is completed? All right, Vic, do you wanna take that one? I, I can answer too, either way. Have at it. He's the owner over there. And you could comment on what you're going to do with it. I did own it. We did own it before and we sold it. Um, so our, let's talk about why we sold it. I mean, we wanted the, the density on the King's Highway side. By form-based code, that's where the density belongs. That's where they allow the density. The density on the back lots isn't as good. You know, it's not, it doesn't serve a good purpose for us. Um, and so those should remain as twos and fours and whatever they are today. So ultimately, I think when we sold it to them, that's what they wanted to do. I don't know if any plans have changed on your end, but 
Yeah. What he said is he's 75% done restoring the buildings and there's probably a couple of buildings he's going to build and um, overall. Sure. Come on up. <laughs> yeah, so my name is Derek, uh, my wife, Tony, over here. Um, so we currently own uh, the properties in red. Um, we got finished with these three, restoring them. Um, this one's about to start. That's 4562. Um, and then these are about to start. So we're, you know, over 50% done restoring the properties in red. No, no, they'll just be rental properties. And we live in the neighborhood as well. Uh, which, the one that used to have a six family? Here? This, yes, we will, um, our plan is to build a multifamily property there within the next probably year, year and a half. But right now it's just vacant and clean so any questions thanks sorry for putting me on the spot uh rachel we can move on to the next question yeah thanks dan a uh, few more questions in the chat i'll try to move quickly to save time for those in the room but uh next question is does the steel yard apartments have the same prohibition to Airbnb slash rentals. Those apartments are available to book short-term on hotels.com. Which building did you say? Uh, this person was referencing the steel yard. Um, and what about it? Does it have Airbnbs in it? Yeah, the, the question was, does the steel yard apartments have the same prohibition to Airbnb? No, it rentals? No, it does not have any prohibition. We don't own the steel yard apartments. Uh, we built it many years ago and we sold it many years ago. So we don't own that building anymore, but they might have Airbnbs. I don't know. Um, but the prohibition here is very specific to this lot, this parcel. We bought it from a hotel um, company, obviously, Drury builds hotels and they don't want us competing with them in any way. And so that's the reason for um, the deed restriction. It basically follows the land and um, doesn't matter if we own it, he owns it, anybody owns it, um, it follows the land. So it's a deed restriction and it's there to prohibit competition with Drury. Drury. Well, they would, I mean, it's, it's, it's there, it's the deed restriction is there for their benefit. So they would have to enforce it. You want me to pick you? Uh, Rachel, are there any more questions in the chat? Yeah, a couple more here. Uh, what is the overall schedule for the project? Is financing secured? 
And how does this project fit with your project for the Optimist and Engineers Club buildings? Um, the schedule for the project, you know, usually is about two years, maybe 18 months from the time we get going and disturb the land. And um, so when would it start? You know, I think it would start like early next year, but it all depends on when we get through everything and approvals and such, but it would start like early next year and I would go for a couple of years, maybe, um, you know, that would be the rough time period. But whenever it starts, you could assume that it would take about two years um, to build. Sometimes it goes a little faster, but this one is complicated. You know, we're digging two stories underground. We're parking underground. Um, there's a concrete podium that extends 25 feet up into the air. And then there's construction, wood frame construction on top of that. So you can imagine just to get to the wood, you know, it's going to take us eight, nine months. And um, uh, the benefit of that, of course, though, is that, you know, we'll have this great parking spot underground. It's not visible to everybody. And um, you can really hide a lot of the parking garages, you know, and parking garage. So, so yeah, about two years. What was the other question? Uh, the other question uh, was sort of a three-part question here. The other uh, two questions in this one were, uh, is financing secured? Oh, not yet, but it will be once we know what we're building. I mean, we need to know, are we building the old version that Mike kind of talked about today? Are we building this new version? You know, so there's still, we fundamentally need to know what we're building and then we can figure out um, the financing. But, but yeah, the scope of the building is of a nature that financing isn't that complicated. It's a uh, 150 units, give or take, depending on the design. And um, we do a lot of those types of buildings. Thank you. And that, the third part of this person's question was, how does this project fit with your project for the Optimist and Engineers Club buildings? I think it doesn't the, really, it doesn't really fit in any particular way. Um, this is the entrance to the Central West End. I mean, I live in California, but I grew up here a long time ago. And my mom worked in um, Barnes and Jewish. I can remember when I was a kid, I would drive by these buildings and they looked horrible back then. They look even worse now. And the thesis was really simple. I mean, like, why would we want this in the front of our Central West End? It just make, makes sense to get rid of it and quickly. Um, but it has no bearing on optimists or engineers. I mean, whatever happens to those happens to those. But this is, this is like an eyesore is the way I would put it. And the majority of people who come to the city would put it the same way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, um, yeah, that's, that's the thesis. That's why we want to do it. We want to improve, improve the, the, the built environment and also the, the entrance to the, to the neighborhood, which has like grown in leaps and bounds over the last quarters and years. Thank you. Just a couple more questions in the chat here. Uh, what is the occupancy rate, I'm assuming the average, uh, at your other properties? Like about 100%. <laughs> Maybe like 99 some days, 98, and then 100. Um, so we wouldn't, we, we're not doing this as a charity cause. I mean, we're, we're doing this to make money. And um, we wouldn't do it if we couldn't keep them occupied. 
Thank you. A couple last comments, questions here. Can you please clarify your comment about the option to connect into ARCO? I thought you had to remove the ARCO alley from the equation. Can you put that slide up? Yep. So what do you what do you mean? Like I don't exactly know what which um, do you mean this alley back here? Um, question specifically reads: clar Clarify your comment about the option to connect into Arco, and uh, feel free if you'd like to unmute yourself. I mean, if you ask we've got question. an alley. We've got an alley here that connects to Arco. Say that again. Like that's not the case now. Oh, um, maybe Mike, you could comment if you, that's what you meant. But the way I understand it is that you, you know, you have this alley that connects here on Oakland, and then this is an alley that's already in place, and then it would connect here on Arco. So yeah. we are pushing it back only, only because the building also sets back primarily because of this new entrance that we have on, um, on Kings Highway. So the building it forces you to set that building back a little bit more. And when we put this in place, you know, we, we often conceptualize the need to change the parameters of the alley. And um, so this design does take advantage of that. The prior design did not require a change in the alley. Thank you. So, next, next, go ahead if you had a couple more thoughts there before I move on. The other thing somebody, I was somebody in the room is actually asking a question. Do you want to go ahead? Here you go. That runs between Oakland and Arco going north and south, but that apparently you would be using um, for other purposes in connection with your building according to that design. So, so you're talking about constructing a new alley. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically the original alley. I'm dedicating it to that. Yeah. And what, what he's saying is that's not a house, so that's not, that's a current drive, drive, through, drive lane that basically that drive lane um, exists today. So there's a drive lane here that exists today, and we're dedicating that today as an alley, as opposed to having the alley here. So we're vacating it here and dedicating it here. Yeah, we're dedicating a new alley at that location. Yeah, but yeah, we have the ability to do this. I don't need any other authority per se, but with something that we have talked about and agreed with the current owners. What were you saying? Okay. Thank you. Uh, we're gonna turn it over to questions in the room now. So I'll be handing the mic over to various speakers uh, and then giving it back to uh, Lux Living to speak. Uh, sorry about the one mic situation. Uh, if you have your hand raised, please raise them. If you have a question, 
Yes, I come to you. Okay. Um, okay. Have you been asked to uh, contribute any money to any housing funds in the city of St. Louis in connection with this project? Get my work on it today. Um, the question was, have I been asked to contribute funds to a housing fund? Not yet. Wouldn't rule it out, but not yet. <laughs> Were your um, demolition permits approved? No, I enjoy seeing you run. <laughs> but um, the demo permits, I don't have any demo permits. Again, I'm not doing any construction yet. I'm just working with the neighborhood and the city to um, get the right to build the building um, and design the building. But I haven't done any work yet. Yeah, I haven't. No, I haven't applied for demo permits yet. I haven't done that yet. I'll do that once I'm ready to build. Yes. Uh, you may have answered this already, but if you could again, maybe just specify, clarify it for me. I don't know anything about this process, but let's say this design meets people's approval. How does a neighborhood, how do we know that this is actually the design that will actually be constructed? Or is there an opportunity for approval to make changes during the construction? I might answer, answer that question. You know, we, um, you know, we work with culture resources on, you know, on the design and, and basically to get our occupancy, we have to you know, um, adhere to that design. So, you know, once we get approval from culture resources, which, you know, we, 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 we like this design, you know, this classic design as well as the, the modern design, if that's what we choose to go with, you know, we'll, we'll be sticking with that culture resources. We'll confirm that we, we maintain that design. Can you hear me now? Okay, perfect. Um, so before the garage is uh, finished being constructed, um, where will people be staging? Um, and then secondarily, throughout the course of construction, will you commit to having a contact for the neighborhood, particularly the residents around there? 
um, for any disruptions that happen in the neighborhood, um, particularly if there's any infrastructure updates that have to happen um, in order to accommodate the increase in density there. Um, will there be an open line of communication as well as a commitment to having periodic updates um, to the neighborhood association just as the timeline continues on throughout construction. Um, I, uh, the first question was where would people park like when the garage is getting built? And so the first part of the building, the garage is they're gonna, they're gonna excavate and shore, I mean, they're going to demo to your point. So we're going to, the first part of construction will be the demo, but then they're going to start digging and then dig deep and shore it up. And um, during that time, we're going to have like one or two uh, crews there. So very few personnel will be there. And usually they will park at, on the site. So literally these are rigs that are basically going to do shoring. We'll have very few members there. Um, we're open to different ideas, but most of the time what ends up happening is they'll come right over King's Highway and they'll park right on the ground and they'll have a certain staging area that's right in the front or on the side. And then you'll have a few trucks, few cars. And that's most of the work that happens initially is you just have to get down far enough to where we're going to actually put our foundation and then we'll start building up. And all of the, the work, most of the work is through precast. So the concrete gets built in um, a different state actually, it gets trucked over and then it gets put in here as like Lego pieces. And that'll be with a crane. And again, there'll be a few trucks here. Um, and once the garage is in, then you're gonna have like quite a bit of labor come in and you could have 80, 100 guys there at that point, but they will park in the garage and they'll use the entrances off of King's Highway I think that Mike is kind of highlighting. So they'll just come in, park in the garage, and then use the stairs in, inside of the precast to go up and, and work. We'll have a crane on site, and all the deliveries will be coming here on the front, and we will get permission from the city to block off the street here um, and basically use that as a staging area for the construction. So we don't expect any construction or vehicles to even come into these areas back here on Oakland or back there on Arco because it just wouldn't be convenient for any of them to come through the, that part of the neighborhood to access the building. They're gonna access the building right from Kings Highway. All the materials are gonna come right from Kings Highway. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of how we envision it being built. And um, the next question was neighborhood meetings and communication and, you know, um, I'm here, I flew here just for this. Um, you're one of the few neighborhood groups that I think really cares about their neighborhood and is very involved. And um, in other cities, I see the same thing and I fly into those neighborhoods as well. I mean, we didn't, we wouldn't do it and we wouldn't make the changes if, you know, we thought that it didn't make sense to make you guys happy on some of the requirements that you're requesting. So yeah, we will do that. We'll have a dedicated liaison that'll just come to your meetings or send you an email update and you can present it and talk about it. And um, so, yeah, I'm, we're fine with that and we'll dedicate a person to do that. And um, that'll be a person like the project manager or like maybe the lead superintendent or something like that, but somebody who's actually dealing with the issues at the site. And, um, you know, if there's like a water shut off or something like that, 
they can start to, you know, they can communicate that and, and, and get you guys involved in those discussions. So yeah, on that. And it would help us too, because if you're, you know, in some neighborhoods we're building and there's a lot of theft and other issues. And so we'd love to have um, the help of the community to make sure there's less of that at the site. Okay. It just made me think, is there any infrastructure upgrades that might be required for the increase in density or do we anticipate that the existing infrastructure can support this new program? Yeah, I mean, the majority of the electric in the rear of the site is needs to be upgraded and the infrastructure would be, um, they're all pole mounted currently. We would, we would drop all the poles. We would uh, bore shot underground um, and relocate them to pad mounted transformers which is a much more modern way to construct, but I think it removes an eyesore, but also allows us to work safely with the rear of the site. So, so sewer and water, yeah, there's, there's a variety of systems that are running through that alley. A lot of those would have to be upgraded through, through uh, um, uh, a relocation, but uh, especially the, the one that traditionally has a changeover. And so um, to address, the, the lady's concern earlier there's there's with with sewer particularly water there's an individual tap shut off so it shouldn't really affect anybody else with the sewer system as well like when, when there's a changeover it really isn't going to affect anybody because the the diversion would take place and the reconnection would take place before you demo the previous sewer as it relates to electric the changeover is 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 minimal once the bore shot is complete and when you transfer power between transformers. So if you have a pole mounted transformer currently, and then you're putting it to a pad mounted transformer, um, there's, there's a very minor interruption and that can be um, managed uh, easily through communications. Uh, okay, uh, questions? All right, uh, we do need to take time to, uh, for a community discussion, but we'll take a couple more questions. Thank you. Uh, I can hold it. Uh, hello, my name is Oways. Um, I'm here uh, because I'm actually a tenant at Lux Living right now. I live at the Hudson building. Um, I believe it's the latest building they made. Construction stopped earlier this year. Um, as I was looking uh, at other places to live, that's how I came across uh, the new property. I think the website was Next STL. Um, I just wanted to kind of come here and give my thoughts um, as a tenant. I know, especially particularly the Hudson building has been, uh, from what I've been Googling in the news and everything, so I thought uh, an opinion of someone who lives there uh, might be valued. Um, I would say definitely uh, there were issues in the beginning. Um, particularly just uh, moving in at a later time than I was told. Um, some of the things off the top of my head in the beginning that I kind of had issues with was like uh, the internet not being ready and um, the amenities not being ready at the time that they said it would. Uh, however, uh, I moved in December and I would say by the end of January, um, most of the amenities that I used were uh, built any issues that I did have in the building, such as like, you know, not being able to install the internet right away, which I work from home. So that's like, you know, <laughs> you gotta have internet. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, it's not my responsibility. You gotta have the internet. But 
um, the property manager there, or whatever you would want to call it, the contact for tenants was extremely efficient in making sure that got fixed. Um, bathroom issues or any kind of issues, um, they, you know, really helped uh, try to make things right and made the transistor smooth to the point where now, like, I'm currently living there and, like, I definitely love that building. Um, so just wanted to kind of give my experience uh, as a tenant, you know, sure everyone has a different perspective so just wanted to give mine yeah questions hi so yeah my question was um along the same line i just want to know kind of like you know from your experience building the hudson chelsea um and your previous properties you know what are some of the I guess the lessons that you know you you're taking forward in building this new building because uh, we know you know like with 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 COVID and with the you know the economy of inflations and stuff, uh, projects often gets delayed and then uh, so as for this project you know like are you what are you guys planning to do differently from uh, uh, from the experience of building your previous uh, projects I guess. Um, so like maybe Hudson specifically, we could talk about, so Hudson started, I mean, Hudson was actually a relatively fast, uh, building to construct. I mean, it, it went up in a period of about 18 to 20 months from the start when we started breaking ground to when we finished, which was like, I think he said January, but let's just say actually it was maybe more like even February or March when everything was done. It's about 20 months. So it was a very fast building overall. But like the challenges that we had, the biggest challenges were just, you know, if you look at our whole model is we're building boutique uh, apartments. So I urge all of you to go check out the Hudson or the Chelsea. They're just, they're not going to look like any other apartment you've seen in town. And uh, they're very unique. There's a lot of design put into them. So high-end amenities, very few buildings in town will rival them. And, and you will just find that out if you just go look at it. So the philosophy is we want to create beautiful buildings. I mean, these are beautiful places to live and they're expensive places to live. But what will drive down costs is building more buildings, building more units. That's what drives down the cost. If you leave the Hudson as the only amazing building in that part of town, and of course, I'm patting myself on the back, but go look at the building. Go look at it. it we, we will command rents that you will only find in the top buildings in town, maybe one cardinal way. I've got six cardinal baseball players living at the Hudson right now, paying top dollar. So if you just leave the Hudson by itself and we don't build anymore and others don't build anymore, well, the Hudson prices are going to stay really, really high. And um, we think there's a market to build a lot more. And yeah, the prices will come down a little bit when we do build a lot more. We'll be competing against ourselves and others. And, uh, and, and that's the basic model. We want to get more out there. So back to your question, what did I learn? I mean, we went straight through COVID and we had a schedule of opening on August of last year. Okay. And a lot of people had to move in by August and, um, we had a lot of material delays. We had simple delays like AT&T did not have the fiber and the material to turn on the Wi-Fi, okay? So literally every tenant that moved in in August got a modem, got like a, a device that they'd put into their unit 
And I don't know, you guys might maybe see this. They call it like MiFi boxes. Okay. So they're like boxes you put in and they give you Wi-Fi. So we'd have like a hundred of these in there and we put them in on our dime. So we'd just pay for them, put them in and tenant would get free internet, but it wouldn't be as good as, you know, real internet. So yeah, we, we could have changed the date. We could have said to everybody, Hey, you can't move in in August. Cause these were pre-leased in June and May, they were already pre-leased. So we could have told everybody, Hey, don't, you can't move in in August, just move in in December, but it doesn't work that way for most people. I mean, they got to move in. And so, yeah, uh, we learned a lesson there. Of course, like, you know, we can't in the last month solve all the problems of the supply chain that happened in six months or nine months. So everything comes to the end. It's not all going to get done right away. And it took more months. And, and of course, it got finished and it's beautiful, but it took more months. And so, yeah, I think the biggest lesson there is just, you know, we have to be careful with, with those supply chain issues. I don't think they're all gone, but we're very into those supply chain details now. We order this stuff months in advance, you know, just basic things that are coming from China now, we're ordering like nine months in advance, whereas before we might only order them five, six months in advance. So we're just being a lot more cautious on how we do those things. And, you know, we, we will um, continue to, to work with, with tenants there. The good news is pretty much everybody who was in the building is still in the building. We're 100% occupied. People love the amenities. Um, so those are some of the lessons we learned and, and we want to keep improving as we, as we move forward. Yes, uh, we need to reserve just a little bit of time today before we have to leave. Uh, not a little bit of time, at least 45 minutes for a community discussion. Um, so at this time, uh, we thank you for, for attending and presenting today, Mike online, Bid sick and uh, any other representative here today. Um, at this time, we do ask if you excuse yourself so we can discuss amongst ourselves um, how, how we feel uh, and our support for this project. All right. Thank, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Give them just one minute and then uh, we'll jump into a community discussion. Cool. Um, now that we've heard from the developer and have asked many great clarifying questions, we're going to move into a closed community discussion and participate in an exercise that will help inform the board on how and what we write in a letter of, of recommendation, whether that is support, no support, um, no position or conditional support. Um, in this closed community session, um, we've asked representatives to leave so we can talk, talk amongst ourselves. Um, before we dive into the discussion, let me uh, reshare my screen.
Uh, do, 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 do. Share my screen. Here we go. Share. Um, we do want to, this discussion to be informative and holistic of the project presented tonight. Um, so let's plan to discuss our thoughts for the first half of the session. In the second half, we'll try to walk through a simple exercise that will help us determine um, how we write a letter of recommendation. We assume there's going to be a lot of interest to speak coming both from Zoom and the room. So for those in the room, please raise your hand if you'd like to speak. Um, Michael and or I, as you, as you have seen, will come around and give you uh, this uh, mic to speak on. And then for in, in Zoom, um, Rachel will help uh, see who is raising their hands um, and we will let you speak. We'll probably start with Zoom and transition from room to Zoom just so we can uh, fairly have everyone talk. Um, and finally, uh, you elected us as your neighborhood representatives because you believed we cared enough to put in the work, um, in part including the work needed to share information with you so you can honestly discuss your perspectives and we can collect your feedback. So tonight, for a brief moment, we are going to start by sharing some information that we've collected in regards to this product so we can have that honest discussion on this project and have that honest feedback from you in our letter. Um, so for that information, I will turn it over to Michael. All right, thanks, Dan. Can, can everyone hear me? Okay. So everyone, uh, I'm sure most of you are familiar with that I previously looked into this developer last fall and wrote an opinion piece on Next SDL. Uh, I think that was referenced by that incentivized tenant over there. Um, my intention behind that piece was to educate neighbors about this developer. Uh, since our meetings last fall, I have continued to look into their buildings, specifically on how they affect the neighborhoods around them. You may remember that in those meetings, they invited us to tour their buildings. They did it here again tonight. So I took them up on that offer. Uh, I toured their recently finished building in Devolver Place uh, named the Hudson. I interviewed several current tenants of that building and I verified their comments through literally months of photos, group chats, text messages, recordings, and more that was provided to me by these tenants. I also spoke to neighbors of the buildings and past tenants. Here's some of the things I found. First, a tenant described Lux Building to me as the most mismanaged company I've ever dealt with. Lux Living is not owned, or it is owned, by the same people who own Aspirant and Citywide, two property management companies that have long-standing poor reputations in St. Louis. Tenants have told me that they've cycled through many property managers in a short amount of time. They can't keep good, good management. Tenants say that sometimes staff are doing jobs that they're not really uh, experts in. For instance, like the security guard will do maintenance and the cleaning guy is the property manager now. Uh, or they have someone who runs construction who has no background in construction. The quote I got from the tenant, he said, everybody has whatever degree they want in this company. Two, they violate tenants' rights of privacy and respect. Workers enter apartments without permission or reasonable advance notice. They use a lock mechanism called Latch, which is an app on a phone that you use to open doors. 
Tenants complained that they often had access to other people's apartments and worried that other people had access to theirs. This was especially worrisome because of the amount of Airbnbs in the unit. Maintenance and marketing personnel make unscheduled visits to people's apartments, sometimes when they're out of town with no notice. And the latch access logs were altered to hide unscheduled entry of people's apartments. So people were in their apartments without permission, without notice, and they tried to hide it. Tenants have also discovered people in the building at times that should not have access at all, like people wandering the gym or sleeping in the, in the gym. Their construction conditions also cause a lot of concerns. Tenants said the building is already falling apart. There's evidence of mold, dangerous unfinished construction, misaligned cabinets and doors and more. The pool initially did not pass inspection. I'm not sure if it has yet. And when touring the pool deck, the paver stones on that deck would move underneath my feet. Tenants told me that the, they performed construction well outside of normal hours, despite assurances that they wouldn't. And as reference, they moved it they moved in residence way before the building was finished, which caused a lot of problems, some of them still ongoing. We have evidence that Lux pays its construction workers below standard wage. They don't hire union workers. So you get what you pay for. The description is luxury, but the materials are cheap. It may resemble marble from a distance, but up close, it's more like IKEA fiberboard. And uh, finally, they engage in deceptive behavior. Multiple residents described to me how they were told straight up lies about completion by management. We understand construction delays because of the pandemic, but there's no need to lie about the date that it's gonna be done by. One tenant told me that they say what they need to say to make you happy for the moment, but when it comes time for deliverables, they fall through. They push tenants to sign non-disclosure agreements to hide their reasons when they want to break their lease. They ask tenants to remove bad reviews as part of a deal to break the lease. They also aggressively remove bad reviews by reporting them as fake. And then they incentivize positive reviews. You saw one here tonight with that tenant who signed up at the last minute. The Hudson, despite being advertised as fully leased, you heard him say 100% leased. That's a flat out lie. I'm sorry to tell you. The Hudson itself has many vacant units. There are half empty, half empty floors. And many of the units that are not leased are used as Airbnbs. There is a concern that we have about the enforcement of that, that deed restriction. Um, Drury did not pay too much attention to these properties when they own them. And it's very hard to prove that an Airbnb is actually being rented out. So I'm not, I'm not super confident. My personal opinion is that I'm not super confident that will stop Airbnbs from being used there. And neighbors told me that they were treated with disrespect constantly. They've damaged surrounding properties during construction. In one instance, they destroyed a neighbor's fence. And when asked to replace it, they replaced it with lesser materials. And uh, 
when they were confronted by it, they actually got aggressive and the police had to be called. And trash is a constant nuisance and frequently gets cited to the city for cleanup. So these are just some of the newest things I've learned, all documented, in addition to what I wrote about last fall on XSTL. I did all of this investigating because I care about this neighborhood and I care about this city. I don't wanna see developments that hurt the tenants and the neighbors around them. So I'm telling you what I know tonight in hopes that it'll help you help us make a recommendation for this development. Let me know if you have any questions about any of it. Um, and if you want, I, I can share with you some of the things I, I have photos and, and evidence of. Uh, but for now, I'm going to transition it back to Dan. Thanks, Michael. Um, based on the patterns of how the owners and their businesses have failed to meet the obligations as business owners, property managers, and community members, at the moment, we do not have the confidence in their ability to uphold those promises. And our current stance is that we do not support this particular project. However, we do want to hear from you. If you are in favor or if you are not in favor, speak up and tell us why. Our job is to listen to you, the community, and to advocate for you, the community. With that, please raise your hand if you'd like to comment. I saw your hand go up first. Uh, oh. I'm sorry, if you can please state your name and your block you live on before you speak. That'd be sure. Hi, my name is Brian uh, Taki. I live at uh, 70 Waterman Place, right off of uh, Union and Pershing. Um, I had two cars stolen out of my driveway, an Audi RS7 and a Range Rover. I uh, called the city police to have them uh, to report the incident, it was a phone in. Nobody showed up. So even when the Range Rover was recovered, uh, wrecked uh, with evidence uh, from the assailant in my in my vehicle, uh, again nobody would come to pick up the evidence. I, I bring that up because I, I I saw what Pershing was before these guys started building everything up and down that street. It's beautiful now. You can walk up and down Pershing. There's little cafes. There's people. Uh, it, it's looking more and more like a, like a community. Um, seven years ago, 10 years ago, you wouldn't walk up and down Pershing, okay? And if you were anywhere near the triplets, if anybody knows what that building was, which became Tribeca, uh, that was the biggest eyesore in, in that community uh, that anybody has ever seen. Um, what, what, what I'm curious about is, is how do we promote people going in, in taking these risks? Okay. Because uh, we need people to come in and spend money in our communities. Um, I was in Chicago over the weekend and we drove back and you drive into St. Louis. It looks like an eyesore compared to what you see up there, okay? Uh, their, their streets are booming. They're lively. Um, you drive down uh, Maryland it, on a Friday or Saturday night now, nobody's out. We lost Mandarin. We lost all the nightlife up and down the Central West End. 
it, it, it's 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 struggling. And so I, you know, I guess my question is how how do we facilitate and, and promote growth if it's not these guys? Then who is it? You know, is there somebody else lined up behind them? Then let, let's interview them. But let's let's not just throw stones at the first person to come up and say, okay, I, I want to put money into and, and, and invest in these projects. And uh, these are not blue blood kids that, uh, that, that grew up with, you know, silver spoons in their mouth. They went to Pattonville. I don't know that that's part of your story ever, but they did. Uh, both those brothers here are the only people involved in their company. So yes, you, you, you are going to have complaints when you have 2000 tenants. I have six units, six units under my management right now. 25% of my tenants would tell me that I'm the worst manager ever. And it's the guy who, who I gave a second chance to, who's a parolee, who's fighting with my other tenant because I, you know, it's just, it, there's always something. There's always something with tenants. And, and so, it, it, you know, you, we have to understand it's easy to go out and build a laundry list of things that people are doing wrong, uh, but it, it's, it's harder to, uh, to, to, to get up and, 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 and fight the good fight, so to speak. I mean, uh, my, my question would be, how can, we, how can we as a community get rid of the eyesores that we're looking at there and, and come up with ideas to help people do that? You know, what, what, what's our, what's our overall objective? So. Uh, Rachel, uh, we'll turn it over to Zoom for the next speaker. Do you have anybody lined up? Uh, sure do, Deanne. And, and this is actually a comment uh, from myself here, just for the good of the group. I, have worked in commercial real estate and development for uh, upwards of 15 years now and routinely see uh, agreements and contracts uh, between developers and other parties. And I pulled, uh, because it's part of the public record, I pulled the agreement that Lux referenced uh, that restricts Airbnbs. And I heard Lux Living say during their presentation that the restriction against Airbnbs runs with the land but in fact, uh, when I pulled the agreement, and I'll share it in the chat for those who are interested, that is not the case. Uh, the agreement that restricts Airbnbs is between Drury and DDC2 LLC only, not it, not it, not it, not its successors, not it, its success. I'm sorry, not its successors or assigns. Uh, so basically what could happen is Lux could sell the property to someone else and the restriction against Airbnbs would go away. Uh, Lux could even transfer uh, the property into a different LLC that is not DDC2 LLC. They could make up a brand new LLC, uh, transfer the property into that, and the restriction against Airbnbs would be gone. And so I want to flag that because I think that's very important, especially given Lux's track record that uh, what uh, Lux represented during this presentation is not what the agreement states uh, against Airbnbs. So I wanted to put that out there, but um, we do have some other questions in the chat uh, from before. I've, I've kept a running tally uh, and I'll shoot those over via email. Most were questions specifically for Lux. 
So I'll make sure those get uh, forwarded on, but uh, I want to give others the opportunity to, to comment live here uh, for the good of the group. So um, we've got a couple hands up. I see uh, JRB, um, if you'd like to unmute yourself and uh, go next, feel free. Yes. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, I prepared a statement. So my name is Jerry Beckley. Um, while I don't currently live in the neighborhood, I am a resident of Lux's newest building, the Hudson. And I thought it was important for those in this neighborhood to know what they're getting themselves into. Since moving into the brand new Hudson building, residents have experienced the following. Construction workers and staff entering our homes with no notice. I had no heat in my apartment when I first moved in. There were weekly power outages, frequent elevator breakdowns. The walls in my apartment were coming apart and my washing machine needed to be replaced twice. In our resident group chat, residents have provided pictures of ceiling leaks, pest problems, and mold in the walls. With the recent heat waves, there have been issues with AC units not working properly throughout the building. Again, this is a brand new building. This coming Saturday, Lux is having an elaborate event to celebrate their grand opening, despite the fact that the building is already showing signs of poor construction and maintenance. Who knows what shape this building would be in within the next year or two. With all the issues experienced by myself and other residents between last August and as recently as last week, after being denied a town hall meeting by management to discuss the issues and possible solutions, and after residents wrote negative Google reviews about their experiences, only to have them deleted, I decided it may be in our best interest to organize a tenant union. Unfortunately, there was an attempt by a current resident to intimidate me from organizing this tenant union. And as of this morning, it's been 39 days since Lux management and their attorney have all been aware of the situation with this resident trying to intimidate me. And they have literally ignored daily emails about it for 39 days. I've tried to organize a tenant union, arrange for residents to share their experiences with a journalist, and I've reported code violations to the city. And in return, I've been retaliated against by Lux. Making an, making an example out of outspoken residents prevents other residents from also speaking out. Intimidation, threats of legal action, and turning a blind eye to resident harassment. This demonstrates that Lux has absolutely no regard for the people who live in their properties. Their only concern is profit. So why am I still living here despite these negative experiences? It's because Sid specifically wanted to silence my voice by offering to let me out of my lease in exchange for removing my negative reviews or not saying anything negative about Lux in the future. I would not agree to that, so I'm still here. Yet my reviews were deleted anyway. Myself, along with other residents, have wondered how Vic and Sid have been able to leave a trail of victims from several of their properties without ever being held accountable over the years. When an organization has to rebrand itself multiple times to conceal its pattern of deception and offer rent credits to residents in exchange for positive Google reviews and have residents sign NDAs, at some point, someone has to decide that enough is enough and stop rewarding these people with the opportunity to continue to line their pockets while disregarding the people who live in their buildings in St. Louis neighborhoods. Ignoring Lux's past and present transgressions and allowing them to move forward with no accountability erodes people's trust and beliefs in the systems that were meant to protect them and their neighborhoods. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate that comment. Uh, 
Amanda, I know you asked uh, earlier in the chat or suggested earlier in the chat. So I want to get to you that you were happy to share your experience uh, as a as a current STL citywide tenant. And if you're still with us, feel free to unmute yourself and share your comments. Yeah, definitely. I actually would like to just reiterate a lot of what she just said um, down to trying to intimidate tenants who stand up for their rights um, and try to silence us. That's exactly my experience. Um, I actually live in a building in the Shaw neighborhood that is managed by STL Citywide. Um, as far as property management goes, I have a direct number for our building's project manager. He is not helpful and does not take care of things. Um, I have basically a checklist of things that were said tonight that are not true. Um, but the big thing that I want you guys to take away is that there's always an excuse. I live in an older building that should be renovated and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the problems that I have are always because it's an old building. I'm listening to them speak tonight about how the problems with new buildings are because of the supply chain or because if you have X number of tenants, you're always going to get complaints. I have lived a lot of places. I am a 30 year old woman and I've lived in a lot of bad apartments and I've never met as many fellow tenants who are as disappointed in the trash situation, the plumbing situation, the construction workers that are in and out of our building that make us feel unsafe. I've lost three dog walkers because two of them were greeted by individuals carrying rifles in the hallways of my building. And when I reached out to STL Citywide, they said that they would handle it and that it was no longer any of my business, how that would be taken care of or safety would be ensured in my building. I think that's really it because I know there are a lot of other people, but I just want to say that as a tenant, these people are not who you want in your neighborhood. And also as a Shaw neighborhood resident, I'm offended that he acted like no other neighborhoods care about it because we care about our neighborhood in Shaw. Thank you. Thank you very much for those comments, Amanda. We, we've got uh, Rachel, we're going to, we're going to take a yeah. few questions from, uh, okay. from here. So Go ahead. Uh, hands. Give it to Brian here and then we'll give it give it to you real quick. Thanks. All right. How close do I need this? Is that good? All right. <laughs> I'll speak up loud. I, I have a short prepared remark too. And um, so hi, hi everyone. Uh, I was previously vice president before Michael uh, took over my role and is doing a great job. So it's great to see some familiar faces tonight. Um, I'll, I'll keep this pretty quick. I, I am very strongly in support of the project. And I, I, I do want to make that clear that I am in support uh, and dis despite of the very valid concerns about their property management, which I, I don't want to discount, but I think there's a lot of other issues that deserve uh, validity and deserve recognition, especially considering that Lux has a pretty good track record of actually selling their properties after a couple years. So uh, I have a bit of a longer term uh, outlook on this one. And I also was a former STL citywide resident uh, with my wife, who is actually at an academic conference tonight, so she can't be here. Uh, but we actually had a largely positive experience. And again, I, I recognize many don't, but I also want to make clear that's not the not the story for everyone as well. So the reasons why I support this project um, is, is one, I very strongly support an increase to the rental housing supply. 
And I've also toured some of their old buildings and been a part of them. And honestly, a lot of their units are really nice. And I didn't get that sense of um, poor construction quality from them either. But anyway, my concern about this is sort of from an academic perspective. I have a master in public policy administration and I'll be getting a PhD and uh, public and social policy focus, focusing on housing community development. And in a low growth city like ours, an increase in market rate housing uh, moderates the pressure on housing and rental prices. So I think that is a positive for our community. Two, I think density has a lot of positive impacts, both for our businesses and our neighborhood, and also for the environment uh, that we have here and it's transit-oriented development. So uh, I can say this as someone who lives without a car in the neighborhood, more people living in a dense uh, plot of land close to transit is a good thing. Um, three, I know some folks uh, have previously had concerns about property values for multifamily developments decreasing, but it's actually the opposite from the empirical research out there. Um, four, it mostly follows our form-based codes, save for the variance this neighborhood had recommended for parking. And five, uh, this project uh, does not require or request any incentives. So this will also uh, add quite a bit to our city's tax base and schools. So um, hopefully that gives some other reasons to consider here, despite property management, which I hope won't be an issue when inevitably, uh, based on their record, they sell it. Thank you all. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I'm right. Uh, my name is Jason Zhang. I am currently living on the intersection of Vista and Taylor. Um, I guess the biggest thing I want to mention is yes, I agree with a lot of your points regarding, you know, this is a very great development in that it's transit-oriented development, it's high density, it's taking place of an eyesore that on Kings Highway we do not want to see. But at the same time, that's not something that only Lux Living can offer. We have a lot of other developers in the area, such as Green Streets and other developers like that who could take over the site just as well, especially considering that this is literally right next to the Central West End. So there's a high demand area. It's not crazy to think that another developer would see this as a prime location to put in development. We do not need Lux Living putting this here. Additionally, I think, a lot of the tenant concerns that we've heard tonight are just really concerning and have not been just at one single location, but almost every single one of their properties. So considering all of this, I personally do not think that we should allow uh, Lux Living to implement this development here. And we should potentially look at other developers or other solutions to this. Again, I enjoy development, but this one developer is not so much my cup of tea. Hey, Rachel, do you want to do one or two from the phone? Sure. Um, PG3, I don't know if you're still with us or not, but I know you've had your hand up for a bit, so I wanted to get to you uh, if you're still on. PG. There we go. Go ahead. I think we're having a little bit of a hard time hearing you. Can you hear me now? Yes, that's better. Go ahead. I'm a resident of 4514. 
And uh, I was kind of late getting in, but I was asking some questions about uh, the development, uh, the start and stop time. Was it ever? Was it ever told to us if this project goes through, what time those guys would be starting? What time would they be stopping during the day? It looks like it's proposed as uh, it defers to whatever the the city of St. Louis's uh, permitted hours are for construction, which I don't know offhand uh, what they are, but uh, perhaps someone else does. Okay. Thank um, you. Uh, who ultimately is going to make the decision on whether this project goes or doesn't go? How does that work? Sweet tea, I don't know if you're uh, still tuned in here, but perhaps you could give us some context on that. Uh, if you didn't hear the question, it was uh, how is it determined if this project moves forward or does not move forward? Yeah, I will. Uh... I will uh, be taking the recommendations of the, the, the neighborhood and making sure that uh, depending on if it does go forward, uh, I'm put into the chat um, that there has to be a robust um, neighborhood, good neighbor agreement or something like that, because there are developers that have uh, not mitigated, um, have disturbed the neighborhood more than necessary. Um, and so I want to see what your feedback is in regard to I don't know if you're gonna to go to a yay, nay, or maybe with conditions, um, but I'm just looking at that. <laughs> yes, so uh, I do hope you feel better, sweetie. Uh, I can answer some of these questions, but also try to get, um, I'll talk about this exercise that I just passed out to everybody. So um, we'll, take, we'll continue taking comments here in a few minutes. I just want to uh, share uh, what I have passed out and how everyone else online can participate. Um, so what I have passed out is the exercise that simply asks if you support or do not support the project um, and your reasons why. Um, it also asks for your block number and, and your name. Um, participants here, the neighborhood here, the residents here have received it, that sheet. Um, I will type into the chat where you can go out and, and fill the form online. Um, this is very awkward. You see me online, that's why. Um, so online, if you go to forestparksoutheast.com slash feedback, there is the same form in which you can submit feedback, um, whether you do or do not support the project, given your reasons why, and then, um, what's that? I do that all the time. Don't click that link. You won't go there. Southeast. There you go. Um, so we will collect that, use that. And uh, however we come to an opinion on this project, it could always come to we don't have a stance or we don't have a position on it, depending on the feedback we get from you 
and the people online tonight. Um, with that said, um, I think we had Adam or Ryan over here. What was the question? Yes, yeah, so the letter will go to the preservation board and to the board of adjustment. Goes to the preservation board. They will mostly look at look at the merit of the buildings, not necessarily a site project to determine uh, if, if it can go through a demo. And then based on the site plans, they'll go to the board of adjustment. Um, they'll read any, any letters from the neighborhood, any residents who speak up. Um, you can attend the preservation board meeting it was supposed to be on the 27th or this this Monday, but or Friday. It is not. It's not on the agenda anymore. So you can probably look at it on the preservation board next month. Um, you can speak there. We will share our letter there, um, and then again at the board of adjustment. It's a public and open meeting. You can speak there um, and provide your opinion, your feedback at that meeting as well. Here you go. Sorry for the wait. Sorry. All right. Uh, my name's Ryan Day. I live on the 4500 block of Gibson. And sort of of the options that were presented, I think it would go with sweet teas, maybe with conditions um, for a couple of reasons. So I agree with Brian's points about, um, you know, this is on paper a really good development. It's dense. It uh, complies with the form based code. And I think they uh, tried to respond to requests that we had at their prior meeting in terms of moving the entrance to Kings Highway and moving the amenity deck to face Kings Highway. Um, I think that the, you know, I have not lived in any Lux living owned properties, um, but I know someone who has and has had one of the also kind of the poor experiences with a lot of issues with management. Um, I can't really, you know, I am not in a position to adjudicate that people have had good conditions with Lux and bad, uh, bad experiences with Lux. And, you know, I don't really have a, a firm stance on that. And I don't think that any of us really here can kind of weigh those balance and kind of come up with a ultimate decision about Lex's management style. But I think that the fact that there are many concerns as people have raised is, you know, evidence on its own. Um, but I think the reasons why I would say I'm conditionally for it is I think it is a good development and I think it would be, you know, I like living in the neighborhood and I think we need to make as much room for as many people to live in the neighborhood as want to live here. And this is a development that would be sort of heading towards that. And I know other developers are also interested in the neighborhood. We've had a lot of apartments added and there's a lot of interest in living here, but the facts on the ground are that Lux Living owns the land right now. And they're the people who have the proposal and had a prior proposal that was complying with the form-based code, didn't require any variances and um, tried to modify it to uh, sort of suit our, our preferences. I think my maybe uh, relates to their kind of all the complaints they've had and my maybe, I think, is maybe a question more for a sweep tea in terms of um, what mechanisms there are to actually hold Lux to account for the promises they've made, um, if there are any, if she can speak to that. And then if there are any legislative solutions that she would be um, working on in terms of like tenant complaints and, you know, if there are properties that have been previously been made are actually not up to code, if there are variances there, then it seems like that's something that needs to be addressed on a sort of a legislative citywide level rather than development by development level. Um, so I think those are my main points. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Ryan uh, um, so regarding that is uh, one is looking at the building codes and making sure that the developer is following that. And the neighborhood really needs to be vi vigilant regarding when they see something that is awry. Uh, one thing that uh, we'd be able to do, and I learned from zoning, is that actually we could attach the good neighborhood 
agreement to their construction and to their variance uh, to help make them comply. Other neighborhoods have done that and I did some research in that. Um, and I think uh, that is an important thing to do is have something in writing so that the neighborhood and the developer know what the expectations are um, in terms of you know, mitigating any circ I mean, there is gonna be disruption, but then there's also unusual disruption and that really needs to be mitigated. Um, hi everyone. Um, my name is Tony Lee. Um, I'm with Derek here. Um, I live in the 4500 block of Argos. Um, so we just renovate that stone house building on Arco and recently moved into the neighborhood not too long ago. Um, there has been two incidents that I had to call the police in the middle of the night. Um, so I Derek was out of towns and I came home late at night and it was at nine o'clock at night. And there were a large group of people that loitering across all those abandoned homes. And at first I, I was like, well, maybe, you know, there was just, they're going to be done soon. No, I went inside and then I could not, uh, you know, I keep hearing all these bass. And then there were people walking towards my porch and then I feel extremely unsafe and I have to call my husband home and then I have to have the police come. But then for that one, um, I, my tenants that living across the street also call the police because they actually also walk up into her back porch and trying to enter inside. Between me and the tenants calling the police and there were nobody showing. The second incident was at three o'clock in the morning where my tenants call me and saying that there were people racing up and down Argo 80 miles an hour. So when I when we when we call the police, there's actually people that showing up that night. And, you know, I I personally don't you know, I, I live in a neighborhood. Um, I love all of us here. I think I have the best view of those crumble homes. Um, every morning I wake up, I, I work from home also for a diagnostic company. From my windows, I see that whole lines of homes crumbling. I like St. Louis, I moved here not, you know, I moved here 10 years ago from Chicago. And I want St. Louis to, you know, I, I wanna be proud of this city that I live in. And I want to, you know, whenever whenever my coworker from all over the country come visit, I bring them to the Grove neighborhood. They really loves it. I bring them to my place. They're afraid that I'm living in a bad neighborhood. So I want them to come visit again and feel like I'm living in a good city, in a good neighborhood, you know, with, with good people. So I, I understand that we gather here and do our diligence and, you know, make sure that Lux Living do what they need to do um, to have, to do it right for their tenants and then to do it right for our community. But then I'm here also to support them um, because, you know, if, if we're not supporting them now, what are, what's our plan as far as dough building sitting there? Um, do we have a plan? 
um, because from what's your point, we have other investor in town that might be interested in these building, but who to say that Lux, Lux Living going to pass on these building and not having it sitting there like how jury has been let it sit for, the, for a very long time. We've got, uh, uh, Dan, if we have time for one more Zoom question, I know Sarah's had her hand up uh, for quite some time here. Sarah, feel free to take yourself off mute if you're still with us. So um, I'm, this is Sarah Mangapura. I also live on the 4,500 block of Arco. Um, I am basically an, a neighbor and I have also witnessed uh, the deterioration of these properties along Kings Highway for the past 11 years that I've been in the neighborhood. Um, I can say that while Tony, you may be new, uh, this is not necessarily something that we have um, not been dealing with ever since these properties have been vacant. Um, and unfortunately, I think that this is going to be a problem for a while. But what I can say is I think Lux Living may not be the best development for this neighborhood based on what we've heard, based on what their track record is. And while it may not be popular, I think right now we have to think about what's best for the neighborhood over the long term and not necessarily um, just a shiny object. And right now they're trying to give us a shiny object to persuade us to give them the green light. And I, as a neighbor, do not want this, pro this project moving forward. I think it's... Uh, a development, I don't think it's a good development. And while I'm not against development, I think we need to talk about what the actual project is going to be in a lot more depth than just one or two conversations before we can approve anything. That's it. Thanks. Uh, are there any more uh, questions via Zoom? We can take one Zoom one and then transfer it back to in-person. I do not see any other hands up. So okay. let's go ahead and move on, Dan. Yep, we'll transfer it to in-person. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jenny Jenny Wong, and I recently moved to um, around the Vista and Taylor area as well. I actually witnessed the construction of the Hassan because I like lived right like adjacent to it. Um, so I, I guess some observation. I don't know the exact inside how it's going on, um, but at least from the outside, I would say that it was constructed 
quite fast. And then also I was very shocked when I saw lights inside the apartment, when I was like walking around the area as it was being built, because I couldn't believe people were already living in there when obviously it looked very not ready. And yes, right now, if you go there, it is very pretty. Um, but that is a new thing. Like the the amenity that area was not ready, like for a very, very long time, even though people were already living in there. So I was very shocked. I was like, oh, it's already open because I could not believe like I wouldn't live in there. But I understand that if people sign lease, they would, you know, they probably have no other choice. They will have to move. Um, and I'm definitely actually the aesthetics is totally on point to my pace. I love the look of it. I actually really like it. So I'm not against the design at all. And I'm all for, like many people, the uh, intention of inviting more residents in the area. Um, and the question is then, are these residents? Because if it's Airbnb, well, they're not really residents. Sure, like they're warm bodies, but are they warm bodies forever that's going to invest in the community? Um, so that's a part where I'm not sure how like to think about it, uh, since people seem like we're all, I, I, we like the idea of people, but are they permanent warm bodies? And then the other piece about, um, I'm not sure how it adds together, which is a part about if crimes are already not being addressed when um, people are experiencing them, I'm really sorry to hear that. And um, the then I guess when it's being built, there's more likelihood of things happening, hopefully not, but we can't prevent that from happening. Then um, what makes it that it would get addressed when more people come and that there potentially would be more problems. How is that all of a sudden gonna be addressed? Like, I'm not sure how that works. Well, not like permanent as in terms of like Airbnb is less permanent than someone who is renting there for like a year. No, I'm actually a house owner, but I lived in a property previously and witnessed the construction so i actually have both sides like right connected yes uh are there any more comments um before we move on okay one more do you have a comment as well i can give it over to you as well Hi, my name is Jesse Figueroa. I live on the 4500 block of Oakland, and I'm interested in hearing more about any other possible contenders, any other developers that could possibly be in the works. I know Lux owns the the lots, but you know, given their history, um, I, I, I live, I will be seeing the building constantly and you know dealing with with the construction directly right outside my front door um so just curious if there is anyone else thank you hello uh, uh i'm alan levin i live on uh 4500 block of shoto uh I've lived here for about 45 years. And uh, so uh, me and several other people here have witnessed uh, quite a bit of development. Uh, we've seen some uh, good things that we've, you know, I've seen an enormous amount of uh, 
apartments that have been built, and I'm not sure how, mu how much of those apartments got the kind of rigorous uh, concerns that we, we are doing here. I know that when Drury uh, made a proposal, uh, it was just totally outlandish. Um, I understand what people feel about uh, Lux. Uh, and I'm not, I don't want to in any way forgive Lux for the misdeeds that they have had uh, in other projects in the city. But I look around at projects that are on Manchester and I, I wonder how in the hell did they get that passed? And uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is that Lux addressed many of the issues, the formal issues about the apartments that they wanted to build. And they have presented us with formally at least a building that I think to some degree will fit in far better than the apartment buildings in the 4400 block of Manchester. And so I'm willing to give them uh, a little bit more of a leash on this, but I also feel as though we need to, in some ways, monitor these projects uh, and maybe even monitor them after they are completed so that we have uh, a track record of uh, essentially what we want to see in the future, because things are just going rapidly fast. You know, there are three projects on the south of Manchester right now. One is enormous, and we, uh, I, I just uh, feel at this point I support uh, Lux, not because I think it's the best, but I think that it is reasonable. Okay. Uh, any other comments? Uh, Michael, do you have anything to say or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, I just I heard of a couple of questions I, I wanted to answer. So uh, first of all, the 4,400 blocks of Manchester, those buildings were done under a different review process through Park Central. There were definitely flaws with that process. And that's part of what we've been trying to do with this process is do things better. Uh, look into people. Uh, look at the, who the developer is and, and really get a sense. Uh, this company has been doing this for 14 years, so they're not changing now. Um, but the, the other thing that I, I think it's important to mention is that the city, unfortunately, does not have the tools to hold developers accountable once construction starts. Um, part of Part of the investigation I did was to, to look into and talk to officials from the city and talk with them about how we can make sure the developer does what they say they're going to do, uh, how we can make sure to safeguard this neighborhood, because, you know, I'm aware it's, it's it, it doesn't need to be an all or nothing thing. Like maybe there's some conditions we can build in. But unfortunately, we're in a pretty tough situation here. Drury held on to those properties for over over a decade so we don't really know what else could have been done because drury was a 
accumulating properties for a very specific plan they had in mind. They held them hostage, essentially. Uh, Wax has only owned them for the last year or so. Their track record does not indicate that they hold on to, to properties that they can't develop. Uh, so it, it's a question mark as to what happens after this. What I can tell you from looking into the city process is that after demolition, our options become fewer. After the Board of Adjustments, our options become almost none. Uh, so the time to really do something about this development is now. After that, it becomes very difficult. The city's building division is underfunded and understaffed. Inspectors don't get around to what they need to get around to. And the idea that the onus is on the neighborhood to police this is unfortunate because it shouldn't be up to residents. It shouldn't have to be up to residents to constantly watch with vigilant eyes to make sure that developers are doing what they're doing correctly. We're not experts either. So, you know, that's where our recommendation for the board comes into, we have an untrustworthy partner. I understand landlords have their issues, right? Uh, but why lie to us? Why stand up here and tell us it's 100% occupied? Like, why go through that trouble to, to hide the truth? I think they spend more time hiding the truth than they do actually building, maintaining, and managing their buildings. And that's the kind of partner we're talking about here. So there's a lot of considerations, and I know that people are, are nervous about what happens if we stand up for ourselves as a neighborhood. It may be easier to do a deal with the devil we know. And that's something we all have to decide. That's something we want to hear from you. And we've heard from plenty of you tonight. And I, I, I know we've distributed these papers and we've collected them now. We're going to read through your comments. Uh, we're going to talk about it as a board and, and we will post our letter publicly. Uh, we'll make sure to include what we've heard here tonight. That's why we're holding this meeting. And it may be that we need to have an additional meeting to discuss this. So with all that, I'm going to turn it back to Dan because uh, it's getting late. Uh, thank you, Michael. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to add. I think you said it well. Um, with all that said, yes, we have uh, all of your comments and, and, and right here, and we have the chat transcript. We have the recording of this meeting. We have your submissions online. We'll go through it all, read it all. It'll take a lot of time. Again, we we have nine to five jobs, some of us seven to six, some of us, you know, <laughs> a little bit more than others. So we'll do our best uh, and we'll get through it all. And like Michael said, um, we're doing it for you to read your feedback and to provide your voice to those uh, who, who need to hear it to make decisions. Um, so thank you for coming out tonight. Um, you're adjourned if you'd like to be adjourned. And thank you all on Zoom for tuning in as well. Uh, good night, stay cool. Oh, thank you, sorry. In the corner. Uh,